Warning, the following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Every person thinks they would never succumb to the addictions that litter this world. None of us realize just how easy it is to fall into the trap of addiction. We assume it would never enchant us, never impact us, never kill us. But we'd be wrong, deathly wrong. The following are the true accounts of just a small percentage of people who struggle with addiction issues. We are honored to share their stories. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Addicted. Welcome back to another interview on the Addicted series. On this episode, we have a little bit of a different perspective. I'm excited because I am joined by Lynn Hotelling, and she published a book on her experiences with an addict. Lynn, welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself and a little bit of your backstory? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I Yes, a couple of years ago, I published a book, How to Keep On Keeping On. It's a mother's guide defining peace when addiction hits home is the subtitle. So my oldest, I have five children, oldest son was addicted uh, to opiates for, you know, a good 10 years. And basically the, you know, the book was written from the perspective of of a mom, but it kind of touches on family members go through when there's an addict in the family, you know, the the range of emotions and kind of how I uh, navigated my way through to deal with all of that, kind of see piece at the other side of it. So that's what that's where I'm coming from. At what point did you realize that your son had a problem with substances? So, you know, it was right after high school, I would say maybe he was 20. And I, I realized, you know, something was off, found out by, you know, kind of a mom being a detective and searching the room in the backpack. And he was using um, pills at that point. It was, you know, the oxycodone and some others. So it started there, you know, took him to get help. He was agreeable. And for a while, he, for a short time, he was clean, but then it, um, he went back to it. It progressed maybe a couple of years later, you know, it was the heroin and I'm not even sure, you know, dates are all a blur. I have to say throughout the 10 years. So, and I'm not even sure that I realized what it was at the time until I said, okay, you know, we're going, we're going back to the doctor. We're going to make a plan. We're going to do whatever we got to do. And It was the doctor who, you know, after speaking with Dylan alone, that's, you know, he informed me, your son is addicted to heroin. So that was a whole nother journey begun at that point. Do you have any knowledge of any prior use of substances beforehand being marijuana, alcohol, stuff like that, like normal teenager drugs? Um, uh, Marijuana. He was in high school. You know, I knew that he was smoking that, you know, at that point, I thought it was the the end of the world. You know, Um, he was caught in school with it. Uh, suspended for a short time. You know, that was, I thought that was earth shattering then, 
you know, in hindsight, <laughs> that was nothing compared to what we went through. So it started with the marijuana, never a big drinker. Alcohol is not his drug of choice for sure. But so it went from the marijuana, I think, to the pills and then progressed from there. What kind of help besides just taking him to the doctor were you trying to get him? So this particular doctor, because where we live, it's a very rural area and there are only so many doctors in our area that do the Suboxone program. And I knew this doctor, I knew that he uh, prescribed Suboxone. So that's why we went to him. He did that. He, you know, he put him on Suboxone, which helped for a brief period of time. But from there, and again, dates are, um, you know, a blur, but he did rehab. He's been in and out of inpatient uh, four or five times. So always, you know, I won't say always, but for the most part, very agreeable to it. You know, he wanted to stop, but he kind of needed that that nudge at the time. And he did go, you know, can't say enough good things about the rehabs, but it only works for as much effort as the addict, you know, puts into it when he gets out. So we've done that route. Do you still have positive or negative feelings on rehab, watching your son go in and out of rehab so many times? I'm definitely positive. And what I saw was every time he went, he he learned something new. You know, after three or four times, he said, there's nothing I don't already know. There's nothing they can teach me. I, and I understand that. There probably isn't. But every time he went, you meet new people, you meet new counselors, you're interacting, hearing other stories. I felt like every time he came home, he brought one more piece with him. You know, it was kind of building blocks is how I looked at it. I still feel that way. So, I no, I, I think I can't ever say it was a negative experience. You know, he always um, completed the program, always came home having good things to say about those places and the people that he was with. So, no, I, I would not say anything negative about rehab, honestly. Do you think because he came back to the same situation you know, or the same group of friends and the same people that he was hanging around with while he was using, do you think that continued to enable him to use? Yes, I do think that's part of it. Yeah. Uh, he had been out, you know, we live on the East Coast. He went to a rehab on the West Coast. He was there for 90 plus days and they did a big graduation, they call it. So we, the whole family flew out to be with him for this graduation. And we met with everyone before the graduation, his counselors, whatever. And that was our biggest fear. And I know his, uh, he has a brother a few years younger and he said to him, don't come back, dude. <laughs> You're coming back. You know, every place you see, it's going to be like a trigger. You're going to, oh, I used there or a dealer lives there or, you know, I bought it there. We live in a small area. It's This is not a big metropolis here. So, and that was, you know, he begged him, please don't come back here. But my son, you know, at the time he was, he wanted to be with the family. He's a homebody. He wants to be near his family, came home. And um, yeah, I do think that's part of it. It's kind of hard to, especially when, when you're in a small town, it's hard to avoid places and people that you've been in contact with before. Hey, did your son ever get in any kind of trouble, like as far as like the law or, you know, potentially like killing himself, like in like a car accident or anything like that? Not problems with the law. No, that I'm aware of. He's been in car accidents. You know, he flipped his car uh, at one point. He's, he's had more than one accident. A couple, you know, took down a pole one day. It was always falling asleep. He was, you know, at one point he was in college, but it was a long commute back and forth because he didn't, he wanted to live at home and coming home, he fell asleep, totaled the car, you know, and in hindsight, I'm sure it was, he was nodding off, you know, um, behind the wheel he was using and, you know, very blessed. He's got somebody looking out for him that he was never seriously hurt, never hurt anyone else. 
thankfully, there were some issues. You know, he he definitely um, pushed the pushed the envelope a little bit when he was using. Did it ever come to a point where you realized that you were enabling him? For sure. Yeah. Um, took me a while. And I, again, don't know how long it took me, but it was almost the 10, you know, eight years later. Because, you know, we kept, he was at home. So we had a beautiful house to live in and privacy and food on the table. And I will say my son is, you know, he was a functioning addict because every day he would get up and go to work and he would do a, a great job. So nobody, even questioned it, you know, not as employers or anything. So he had money, you know, he had everything. He was very comfortable. He was very comfortable. And I think, uh, you know, in my book, I talk about how you, you almost will do anything to maybe lighten the load a little bit thinking, well, you know, he's, he's an addict and he's struggling enough with that. Let's try to make everything else in his life easier. Not realizing that, you know, what, that it's, we're actually enabling him. So yeah, there did come a point where I just, and again, I think I talk about it in the book that I don't know what it was, but I had an epiphany and it was, I can't do this. I can't. There also comes a point where you realize there's other kids in the house. We need to worry, you know, it's kind of, it comes down to, we got to save us too, you know? So yeah. Did I enable? Absolutely. And I'm sure this, this took a very big toll on your family and your marriage, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that took, you know, it's funny because you're so focused on the addict in the house that you, you know, everything else takes a, set, a back seat to it. So you almost, you know, you're so zoned in on that and keeping him alive and that you almost forget how the other kids in the house are feeling, reacting. So much to be said for, you know, hindsight. Like, you know, I look back and I think, how did I miss that? How did I not know? So yeah, you know, the, the marriage takes a toll because parents aren't, you know, aligned in their thinking and um, philosophy. That's an issue. Yeah, it takes a toll on every single. And, and in my book, I talk about each of my other four kids. And I can literally, you know, now it's to me, it's very obvious how it affected each one of them while they were growing up. So yeah, it takes its toll. Do you feel in a sense that you almost became addicted to your son's problems? Yeah, I guess you could say that because it was my life for 10 years. So yeah, that's an issue. Yeah, I lived and breathed it. But I always, in, I think in my mind, my goal was always, I just need to keep them alive. And you do whatever you got to do. You, you know, everything else, like I said, takes a back seat. You set everything else aside, friends, family, whatever it is. And you just, that was my thought process, you know, at the time. I just got to keep them alive. With your son being in and out of rehab a few times, he's obviously had a few different kind of rock bottoms. Has he hit the bottom and come up yet, or is he still bouncing in and out of rehab? You know, every time I thought we hit rock bottom, there was always another bump in the road. I feel at this point, um, I would like to say that I think he's on another better path at this point. I mean, he, he definitely is. Can I say it's forever? No one knows. There may be more bumps. But again, I feel like every time he learns something, I, I see a little bit of a change in him. And maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe all those times he just wasn't quite there yet, not quite ready. I feel like now he's ready. He's older, he's matured, he's a little wiser. And, you know, at some point I felt confident he would get to that I want, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to start my life. He's got so much potential, so much to live for. And I feel like that's the point that he's at now. Now he's verbalizing it. 
He's actually going to meetings now, which he was so opposed to before. So that's a huge change. Goes to meetings every night, very involved in that. So right now, you know, I think we're in a good place. What are some of the things that you've utilized to cope and to make sure that you're taking care of yourself mentally while helping your son through his sobriety? So, you know, I talk about in the book that I did start to meditate. Uh, I meditate every day. I, you know, prayer, mantras, spirituality. That is what saved me. I just, I have all the faith in the world and the universe that it's going to bring us what we need when we need it. So talking a lot to the universe and the meditation, some yoga in there, uh, mantras. I talk about Al-Anon in the book and, you know, and I, to be perfectly honest, so many times, you know, his counselor, my son's counselor would say, or his doctor would say, you really need to, you really should try that out. Just never brought myself to do it. And I think, you know, mainly it was like, "Eh, I don't have time for that. You know, it's not, it's not about me. It's about him. We need to focus on him. Can't say that I went that route. I kind of went within and had to figure it out for myself and trust, put trust in the universe. And, you know, it's working. Um, And again, I think you just get to that point where you realize this is not my journey. This is his journey. And I was trying to navigate it for him, which I'm sure a lot of mothers, parents do. And I, you know, you just all of a sudden you get to that point where you say, no, he's got to, he's got to do this. He's got to walk his journey. And I got to, I got to keep walking mine. At that point, when you made that decision, was it you were washing your hands of him? Like you were kind of like walking away from him or was it you're just like, hey, man, you got to do this on your own? Yeah, it was that. And I'll tell you, because my mantra through most of this was always, I will never give up. I'll never give up on him. And I won't. I would never give up on any of my children, no matter what the case was. What I learned was there's a difference between giving up and letting go. And again, you know, maybe it was just the readings that I was doing and you know, the more I learned about addiction, that it finally brought me to the point where, you know what, I'm not giving up on him. I'm, you know, I don't love him any less. Don't, you know, it's not, would never disown him or, but I need to let him go. I need to let him go do this on his own. So, you know, and I think, you know, every mother's a little bit of a control freak. You know, we all do that as our kids are growing up. Well, it comes a point where you got to let that stuff go. You got to let it go. And I, you know what, and when it hit me, I, said that to him. I went to him, my son, and I said, you know what? Can't do this anymore. This is your journey. You've got to walk it. I'm not, I can't do this for you anymore. What was his reaction to that? He actually was, you know, receptive. He said, you're right. You know, he hugged me and I love you. And that was it. Um, but I will say it's, it's not like he wasn't trying to tell me that over the years. Like you can't, I mean, he would honestly say, you can't do this for me, mom. I have to do this. And I go, yeah, okay. But then you still try to control it. And, and navigate, you know, and, and steer it in, in a different direction. But as many times as I heard it, I had to come to that place on my own. And then when I finally did, you know what? And so, and I said it, I said the words, and I felt like I was going to let go. It still took me a while after that to honestly do it, to actually let go, <laughs> let the chips fall where they, where they did. What kind of relationship does your son have with all of his other siblings now? I like to say that my sibling or my children are all close because, you know, there's so much love there. They all love each other so much. But I think the problem was, you know, they all had to figure out how are they going to, they were so hurt by what he was going through. They all had to figure out their own paths to deal with it. So, you know, they're not big on calling them up and saying, hey, how you doing? You know, I love you. I'm thinking of you. But yet when they get together, when, you know, when they see each other, then they can say it, you know, 
my son didn't reach out to his siblings when he, you know, when he was going through this. So it wasn't like there was a lot of communication going on, but they are thrilled to death at this point that he's healthy and doing well and pray that it stays that way. So, you know, do they all have their scars? Sure. But they're growing up and they're learning to deal with that too on their own. What do you think the hardest part for for you has been to watch your son do this besides not being able to control it? You know, I think the hardest part for me was always he's just not living his best life. That's all I oh, that's all you want for any of your children. I want you to be happy and live your best life. I don't care where you're doing it or who you're doing it with or what you're doing, what you choose to do for an occupation. I don't care as long as you're happy. And I've always said that with my kids growing up. Just be happy. Do something you love, be happy. And I think that's what hurt the most, that as an addict, happy? Like, you know, my son always said, nobody wants to be an addict, mom. Nobody wants this life. I think that's the hardest part, that you know they don't want it. They don't want to live that way, but you can't fix it. And as a mom, you want to fix everything for your kids. You want to make everything all better. So it was that was the hard part, letting go and realizing that he's got to do this and he's got to figure it out. And in your book, you break down each chapter based on the stages that a parent may face as a process through coming to terms to the knowledge that their child suffers from an addiction. Of the stages, which ones did you felt was the hardest to overcome? I would say, you know, there's a lot of blame going on. I think that's natural. I think it's, it's a coping mechanism. I'll blame, you know, I'll blame the friends that he was with. I'll blame the drug dealers. I'll blame you know, his father for not doing enough. He could go on and on. I'll blame myself. What did I do wrong as a mother? That So that's hard. You got to learn to break it down a little at a time and realize, you know, there's nobody to blame. Again, I will say <laughs> through the whole thing, my son always said, can't blame anybody, mom. I did this. Drug dealers didn't come to my door knocking on it. Nobody made me do this. I did. He took responsibility. And I guess I had to get to the point where I could let him take that responsibility. Um, so that's hard. There's a lot of anger. You know, with the blame, maybe they kind of coincide, but with the blame is the anger. You get very, very angry. First, you're angry at him for even using drugs. You're you're angry, you know, all the same people, the drug dealers, the family, the friends. Why didn't they do anything? And so that's hard. You got to learn to, it's, you know, it's almost the whole, all this, it's all the stages of grief, you know, and you got to learn to work through each stage until finally you get to that acceptance and where you can kind of look back and see it for what it was and what it is. And, uh, let it all go and, and, and move forward from there. Yeah. Have you forgiven your son for being an addict? You know, I talk about that in the book that in one of the rehabs, they had him and I ask each other for forgiveness for things that we may have done wrong or we thought that we did wrong. And that was one of his first questions. Can you forgive me? Y- yeah. And I don't even know that forgiveness is the right word. It's hard to put into words, but I was sad for him. I was sad for him. I, you know, he didn't do this to hurt me. He didn't do this to hurt his family. He didn't do it to hurt anybody. It, it, so how do you forgive somebody who, you know, wasn't doing it to hurt anyone? He was hurting himself more than anything. So, you know, I, I said to him, you know, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Don't even have to ask me that. There's, I forgive. But again, it's hard to forgive when you when you sit and you think, you know what? He's, he's, he didn't do this intentionally to hurt anybody. So, I have a great relationship with him. I always have. We've we've always been very close and open with each other and about everything. And that's how it's we've maintained. So do you think he's forgiven himself for the pain that he's put you guys through? 
I, you know, that's a good question. Up until recently, I would have said, no, he hasn't because, you know, I saw it all play out, you know, there, when they, when, when an addict, you know, gets clean for a while, well, then you know what, then there's all that guilt that they're feeling. Oh, what I put you through. I remember, you know, Dylan saying many times that, why are you still here? Why do you still love me? Why are you still trying? Because I know who you are in your heart. If I thought the things that you've done as an addict is who you really were, yeah, I might have been out a while ago. But I know that's not who you are. That's the addict in you. And I was able to separate that. So for him, for self-forgiveness, I know that took him a long time because the guilt just consumed him. You could you could see it. It was hard. But I feel like the older he got, the more, maybe it was the more times he went to rehab and had counseling and learned to deal with that. I feel like he's even made progress there for giving himself for what, you know, what he may or may not have put the family through. Was he a type of addict that was kind of like stealing everything from you guys or, or did he not cross that line? He did cross that line. He did. Yeah. There were things that, you know, money, things of his more, he would sell things of his own possessions. But yeah, there was money missing, you know, never denied it when he was confronted, you know, but again, I know some parents really take, you know, take offense at that. They take it very personally. I get that, but that was never about it for me, you know, because I, again, I could separate the addict from my son. I knew who was doing it. I knew why he was doing it. I knew they'll do whatever they got to do. I get that. So it was, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm all out, I'm out all this money. It's more, oh my God, you took all that money and used and what are we going to do about that? You know what I mean? So yeah, but to answer your question, yes, we crossed that line. Sure did. What is some of the advice that you could give to other families or parents that are struggling with an addict as a child? Like what's a piece of advice you could give them to get through the struggle or, you know, to try to help them? I think the number one is talking to your child. Talk. You know, in the beginning, I was afraid to talk to him. Maybe I was afraid of what I was going to hear. Maybe I didn't think I was ready to hear it. And I think you kind of convince yourself that this is a phase. Oh, he's going to stop. He's going to stop on his own. He, you know, just this will all be better. It'll all get better on its own. I don't need to, you know, confront it. But then you realize, no, that's not the way to go. And um, so the sooner you can talk to them and see where they're at, what they're, how often they're using, what, you know, where are they at in their addiction and what are we going to do about it? Let's make a plan. Let's talk about rehab or whatever it is. So I think that's huge. Um, the earlier, the better that, that there's communication. I, you know, it's, again, it's all the emotions that come into play, at least for moms. Can't speak for dads. Maybe, maybe they go through the same thing, but they handle it differently. I think moms, we tend to be more emotional and, you know, for the most part. So if you can kind of navigate your way through those emotions and yeah, you're going to blame people, but get over it quick. You know what I mean? doesn't matter whose fault it is, if it's anybody's fault. It doesn't, doesn't change anything. You got to deal with the problem, the anger, work through it, let it out. And then again, you, you can get mad, but get past it because it's not helping anybody. And, I, and, I, and again, I think that the huge takeaway for me was I had to get to that point where giving up on him and letting go of him were two separate things. I don't know that any parent would, well, not going to speak for other parents, but I was never going to give up on any of my children, but I could let go. And I think you have to get to that point where you have to say to them, this is, and you have to realize this is their journey. It's not about you as a mom. This is their journey and pray, you know, and do whatever you got to do to hopefully they, you know, keep them alive. At the same time, they got to do it. Either they got to do the work. If they want to get clean, they got to do it. I can't do it for them. 
Well, shifting gears a little bit away from your son, what inspired you to write your book? What what was that driving force for that? So honestly, I always had this feeling, well, not always, but for years, I would say four or five years, I had this overwhelming sense that, you know what? We don't talk about it enough. I know I didn't talk about it enough. You kind of want to hide in the closet. You don't want to talk to people. You, you, want, you don't want to put it out there. So you, you keep it all to yourself. You know, and then I started to realize, oh, I'm not the only one in this predicament. And, and we live in a small area. Drugs are very prevalent. Uh, heroin is very prevalent. There's overdoses all the time, unfortunately. There's a lot of us in the same um, situation. And I thought, all I kept saying is if I could just put my story out there, if one person reads it, just one person, and it helps that one person, and then they can take it, you know, and carry it on. And that person helps one person. That was my goal. That was my ultimate. I just want to tell my story. I just want to be honest about it all and let people know they're not alone. It's okay to talk about it, you know, because at one point my editor had said, do you want to uh, write it under a different name? Do you want to change the names in the, in the book of your son or your children? And I thought about it for half a second and I said, you know what, what's the point to that? My point is to put it out there. I don't want to hide. I don't want to change our names. I want everybody to know. I'm not ashamed of what we went through and what we're going through. It, people need to know that it's okay to talk about it and be honest about it. So no, didn't change any names. And that was my goal, just to help somebody else. What kind of reception have you had since the book has been published? Have you gotten a lot of feedback, a lot of people reaching out to you? I have. And it's it's overwhelming and it's amazing to me because I never expected that. I thought, was hoping people would read it and then, you know, take whatever they could away from it. But people immediately started reaching out and I get emails and messages that just say, thank you so much. This really helped. And it, it, it's an amazing feeling just to know, again, my goal was to at least just help one person. And that's, a, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It really has. Do you think it was your sort of therapy maybe to kind of, you know, heal yourself so that way you could, you know what I mean? Feel better about everything? Yeah, I feel like somebody else had, you know, if someone asked me that question and I hadn't really thought about it, I still don't really know the answer. I don't feel like that was my part of my therapy. I don't know if it helped or not putting it all out there. It helped me personally feel any better. I just feel like, you know, it was truly about, um, I just got to share this so other moms know they're not alone, you know? So, I mean, maybe that part of it helped me to know that maybe I could help somebody else. So maybe that was part of my therapy, you know, not so much because it was the writing of, of the stories and everything, but just knowing that maybe something I say is helping somebody. So, right. Well, Lynn, your story is amazing. And I, I'm thankful that your son has come to a place where he is starting to, you know, hopefully potentially turn it around. Would you like to plug your book before we go? I think I mentioned it enough times. How to, how to keep on keeping on. Where can they find it at? Where can they get it's, it? It's at, it's on Amazon. I'm going to be honest with you that all I know is Amazon. I know that um, at, at one point, you know, somebody would tell me, oh, I saw it on um, Barnes & Noble. I saw, it, you know, Target had it on. Walmart had it on their website. I'm not even sure. I don't keep track. I just know it's out there. I know it's on Amazon. That I do know. Um, so they can go there and. Um, and check it out. Yeah. Is there a way that they can get a hold of you? Are you are you open to people reaching out to you, or is that something that you shy absolutely. away from? Absolutely. And you know, I, oh, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there is anywhere for them to like. I don't have a website or anything like that. 
I really don't. But that is a good thought that I need to put some thought into that people should be able to. I would love that if somebody wanted to reach, ask a question or talk or something. Yeah. I get royalties now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, but thank you for that. Well, then, thanks again for coming on. I, I can't thank you enough for for sharing your experiences and your story. I'm definitely happy for Dylan that he is in a place where he's getting better. And I hope all the best for you and your family. And as soon as you get a website or some, some kind of contact form, let me know. I will include it in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. Uh, and I will link, uh, obviously, to your book in the show notes when I do release this. Thank you. We leave you now with this episode of Addicted. Just remember that there are many people out there struggling with addiction issues. And for every one person who finds sobriety, there are millions out there who haven't overcome this demon known as addiction. Thank you for listening to Addicted. Addicted.